0: Welcome again. Um, Hopefully this will be a challenging as well as a refreshing time for you. I thoroughly enjoy being able to uh, have every opportunity I have to speak to you. um, As uh, my heart is increasing um, in my understanding of Scripture, I love to bring it forth. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a very specific topic, a very um, challenging topic, um, because most of us, and I'm included in this, at times, we kind of are reluctant in giving um, and sharing with others who who this Jesus is that we serve. And we are oftentimes reluctant in um, providing others with an accurate understanding of who Jesus is to us because we're afraid or we're timid um, or we're not sure what they're going to say back to us or we're not sure how they're going to respond. And um, oftentimes we're afraid because we're not sure what to say. And the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, which is not a force. He is part of the Godhead. He is a person um, of God. It's it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so He is just as much God as Jesus is, just as much God as the Father. And He has the same amount of power, the same amount of understanding. They're in harmonious relationship. The three of them. So um, He is not a force. You know, He's not like in Star Wars where the Force be with you. It's not. The Holy Spirit is not this majestic force. Um, he is a person of God that challenges, convicts, comforts, encourages, and empowers. And today we're going to talk about the empowering um, aspect of the Holy Spirit and how it relates to our faith sharing. But... Um, before we get into that, just to kind of uh, move in with a short illustration here, my uh, past when I was in high school, I was a, uh, hired by my cousin, he owned his own painting company and they also did resealing, they resealed driveways and stuff and so um, I needed some extra cash and so my cousin said, hey, you want to work for me? I said, sure, I was like 15, 16 at the time and um, so he, uh, he hired me. And he would send he, he he gave me kind of a training period to see how I would do. So he sends me out and he says, I want you to just go assess these driveways. And uh, just w- and he always sent me to all the ritzy places because that's the places that have money. And so he sent me to all these ritzy neighborhoods, these gated communities. He'd get permission for me to get in there, and I would basically write down on a piece of paper, you know, that had their comp- their company logo and name on it, um, how much our company, which uh, he owned, how much we would reseal their driveway for, and I would put that um, in their door. Uh, handle on their house, so they came home and they would see this. It's basically a quote. Um, they never asked for it, but <laughs> we gave it to them anyway. And so um, they would come home and they'd see this, and hopefully the price would be good. You know, I would specifically try to, you know, try to show me, look for specific things that we can do for the drive. If you see cracks, you know, make sure you mention on the card that you know we repair those types of things, and um, and you know, just give them a quote, and and we'll see what happens. So I've, I go out and do this my first week. Well, the next week. The phone's off the hook. He's getting all these calls to have people come, to have us come reseal the driveways. And he's like, dude, you're getting me all this business. This is awesome. And he's like, I don't know what you did, but it's pretty cool. We got all these jobs this week. So it only took, it only took like two times for him to go out to realize why everyone's calling. It's because I'm tremendously underquoting everybody. In fact, he was losing money (laughs) because he had to spend more money on paying his employees and, and buying supplies for these driveways than it was worth, than he was getting from the people that I, so... Um, In fact, one driveway um, I quoted, it was like $25. And he's like, dude, it took me $75 to do that driveway. It was a very small driveway, but he said it still takes, you know, I got to pay guys to go there. I didn't know any of this stuff. I think he must have thought I knew because he didn't tell me any of that before he sent me out. And um, that was the main problem is that he didn't really equip me correctly, to be able to go and do this. So he came in, and uh, he said, okay, we're going to go out for a few days, and I'm going to show you how it's done, and I'm going to show you what you look for. And so we went went out for a few days, and um, I realized that um, I think his lowest quote was probably along the lines of my highest, so I realized that I was definitely undercutting him. and So he lost money on me, and um, that's okay, though, because we're cousins, so he's supposed to deal with it, but... (laughs) You know, so um, but he kept me around, and he put me on some other jobs, and I ended up doing better and and getting the hang of it, and we started getting normal amounts of jobs to come in, and he was making money, so it was good. Um, But one of the things that he taught me, that I thought was really cool, is he said, because and I never really considered this. In fact, I was very uncomfortable and awkward going up to people and talking to them, because I didn't really know a whole lot about, um, you know, the resealing business. I was just quoting. I was brand new on the job, first year doing this. And so he showed me what he did that was very um, unique, and I would never have thought of that, is that he went to the people and would, and would talk to them. Go figure, right? He would communicate. He would have dialogue with these people about what they might want In their driveway, like, is is this something you've been thinking about? Um, Is there anything else we can do? You know, they did some other things. They did painting, obviously. So if there was a painting job, they could do along the side of that. They would give discounts. And so he was kind of, you know kind of bartering and, and, and showcasing their their um, company and giving them some, some options of what they could do. And I didn't really do that. I just walked up. To, even if people were outside, they, I was so uncomfortable because if people were outside, I didn't even go to that house because what am I going to do? Go write on something and then, hey, how you doing? Stick it in their doorway and walk away. Yeah, you can look at that later. I just put that there for you. It's a little love note. I <laughs> wanted you to say I noticed you. Bye-bye. Like, what do you do? So I didn't even go up to their house. I didn't do anything because they were standing there. I didn't really want to talk to him because I was afraid. I was timid. I'm a 15, 16-year-old teenager, brand new on the job, not really sure what I'm saying. And so, but watching him and seeing him in action drew confidence in me, and I was able to do that moving forward. And I think this is a really specific idea of what Jesus sends us in light of the Holy Spirit and so that we can make jesus 's name famous and I bet you there's times in your life when you have to you have to um, now the idea behind this is that I was not in that job to make me famous. I was not there to make sure everyone knew how great I was i wasn 't there to make sure everyone knew how well I could do things. I was there to make money and help my cousin 's business grow. That was my primary um, job it wasn 't there to make sure I grew in reputation, but that our company, the company I worked for, many of you work for companies and corporations, and your job is to help that job, that workplace succeed. That place should grow and be successful because of the job you do. They pay you to do it, and so um, you get more clients and you get more more, um, money coming in because of the better jobs that the employees do. So you're really, in a job sense, you're never really out for yourself. You're always out to benefit the company. Um, and even scripture refers to this in the Old Testament um, when God is telling the Israelites, He says, Do what's good for the people, not just for yourself. He says to the Israelites, all through the Old Testament, he says, don't just do what's good for you. Don't move away. Don't go all by yourself, but benefit the people around you. Make sure that when people experience you, that they're experiencing the God of this universe that has completely and lavishly poured out his care for you so that they will know who it is that you serve. And so in light of that, in our Christian walk, we are not... Out to make sure everybody thinks that we are great put together hunky dory amazing Christians we are meant to go and explain and proclaim and declare the great and sovereign and amazing God and that might be seen through our brokenness because in our weakness he is strong right in our brokenness he is put together he is he is redeeming and, and and restoring all of us back to the original place that he has intended for us if we're in Christ and So, God gives us the Holy Spirit for a very specific purpose, and I want to share this with you uh, today. Um, If you can open your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts 1 um, because we're going to look at the, the purpose behind the gift. Acts 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, And we're going to actually at some point move into Acts 4. I'm going to be kind of moving around a little bit uh, today, but our main focus will be Acts 4. But we have to look at Acts 1. In fact, as we go through the book of Acts, that's what we're looking at, the Holy Spirit, which is the power behind God's plan. God's plan is to bring as many people as will listen to repentance. He wants all people to be saved, all people to be redeemed from their sin, and all people to enter heaven. And he uses those that he's already um, redeemed. He sends them back out. So you and I are not meant to just be um, comfortable Christians in an in a, in a air-conditioned church in nice, plush seats. We are meant to go into this world, and God, because he sends us, he gives us something to do it with, unlike my cousin did. He just sent me out with no training, no understanding. The God of this universe prepares and equips us. So let's look at Acts 1.8. It says this. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now stop right there. Dude, that sounds good, right? Power? <laughs> power. I always, when I re- would read that in my early Christian days, I'm like, man, we're going to get power? Like, I can just do a bunch of cool stuff? And that's true, but under the, under the uh, covering of, of Christ. It says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Now, there's the purpose. See, sometimes, and this is very true among charismatic um, and, and Pentecostal circles, we sometimes chase the gift and we forget about the giver. We chase after the gifts. God, give me a gift. Make me feel good about myself. Make me feel alive. Make me feel, make me feel, make me feel. Give me an emotional response. Make me, make me emotional about you. And, and, and God's purpose right here, and you will be my witnesses. So his gifts are so much wider, are so much bigger. Their purpose is so much uh, deeper than just our personal spiritual life. Now, does God's gifts benefit us? Absolutely. Does the power of the Holy Spirit, as he fills our lives in moments when, we're, when we need him to, does it bring inexpressible joy? Absolutely. Does it defeat unimaginable depression? Absolutely. God's Spirit can do that. Does it move us beyond any capable understanding that we could ever move ourselves? Oh yeah, you bet, you bet it does. But it is meant to do that not simply so that we can sit in a church service and have an experience, but it is meant to fill us up, to send us out to make sure that this world knows who Jesus is. And so I think that we have to understand that or else we'll begin to seek gifts without ever understanding the purpose and we'll seek, the, we'll seek a gift instead of the giver. There's something um, true about uh, people that give uh, us gifts. There's something that's, that's very honoring in, in, the, in the gift giver. Uh, my, my wife and I, um, we've lost a child and there was a, a, a student in our youth ministry who uh, wrote a song his, uh, Nick Beerman, I don't know if, if Nick is here. I didn't even tell him I was going to share this, which he wouldn't care. But um, uh, he he wrote a song for my wife and I uh, about the loss of our child. And he was a, a, he's an extremely accomplished pianist and um, very talented, uh, amazing amazing character in this in this guy. And uh, I had the honor of standing up and being the best man in his wedding recently. And uh, but when he was in high school, and, uh, he he wrote a song. For Carrie and I, and it was so awesome. And not only was the gift amazing, the gift itself was so meaningful, was so powerful. We sat in his living room, and he played it for us, and you couldn't help but be moved because. And it wasn't necessarily the gift itself that was the most moving. Here was the fact: the fact was is that Nick saw an opportunity to pour into us something of value, something of meaning. He cared for us so deeply, and. All I could think of at that time when he was, as he was playing, was all the time and the energy and, and, and how long he had sat at his piano writing this song, specifically thinking about us. Because he, that, that, that song that he wrote could not have just been written in a, in a whim. He didn't invite us over and say, hey, I just made this up today. He thought through, there were sections of the songs that were supposed to be celebratory, celebrating life. And then there was songs that were more downcast and just rummaging through the mourning process. And you could tell when those parts of those songs came up because he he very distinctly wrote them in. So there's, he, he's, he's the gift giver, and we loved that he gave us this gift, but even more so we were moved by the giver of the gift that Nick thought to do that. And I, my, my hope is that we wouldn't chase after the gifts and leave God on the wayside, that we wouldn't just cherish what he wants to give us like he's a candy machine waiting to pour out sweets upon us, but that he is the one we go to and we will accept and embrace whatever it is he chooses to give us because that's the most dangerous part of seeking a gift is that if he wants to give you something else, you might reject it. Imagine if we didn't like the song Nick wrote, and we're like, we don't like it, write another one. Oof. All that time he spent would just be like a kick right in the shins. Because it would be basically saying, thank you for the gift, but I want something different. I don't want what you chose to give me. I want what I want. And so um, it says right there in Acts 1.8, and I hope we have to understand this because if we don't understand this, then we're just going to be gift chasers. We're going to be flaky. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Now, a witness, okay, um, and eyewitnesses pertains to the evidence that you would have in court. One of the most powerful things a courtroom can have is an eyewitness. That's what they look for. That's every, every court case, everything that you see or hear about in court, the best thing to have is an eyewitness. That is the most favorable piece of evidence you could ever have. I saw what happened, and I, and I witnessed it. At, I was at youth camp this week. I spoke at a youth camp this past week uh, each night we had a youth service, and there was a, uh, an incident that happened the last night. Um, somebody, they had the shaving cream war. They do it every year, I guess, and everyone brings literally like 10 cans of shaving cream. And they just, it looked like, they, they literally, they're all, after they're all done, they're kind of all, they look like they just went swimming in a shaving cream pool. And they're all coming up to get hosed off, and they're hosing them off. And they look like zombies walking up. They're like, mm. Mm, and they're all white and it's weirdest, it was the weirdest, creepiest thing at midnight on a, on, a, on a Thursday night to watch all these 170 teenagers coming at you moaning all white. It was the creepiest thing. So they're holding them off and, well, some kid decided to go a step further and he took this shaving cream and he, he put it um, in all over, just doused this other kid's uh, pillow in his room. And the rule was you don't go in other people's rooms. During, you know, there was very specific places they were allowed to use the shaving cream because they didn't want to ruin people's stuff. They didn't want to ruin the camp stuff. So this kid basically went rogue and decided, I'm going to go play this practical joke. And the thing is is that he did actually do it maliciously. This kid that he, that he did it to was, um, had been bothering him a little bit. And so, um, but they couldn't know who did it. They couldn't figure it out. Because he went in there by himself, no one really saw it, and so they're not really sure. They're just trying to apologize. Then that kid went rogue and went all thought he knew who did it and just did everybody's whole room and the kid's room, and it was a big mess. Well, then this one kid comes forward and says, "I actually saw who did it," and he, he he's like, "This is the kid that did it," and um, I just want you to know that that was the kid that, that you know. I, I don't let him. He's like, "Don't tell him I told you though." Because I'll get beat up. You know, like, don't tell him. And he's like, all right, I won't. He went and told the cat manager. And uh, so then they, they had a talk with him, and the kid admitted to it and said, yeah, I did it. I, you know. and, but here's the thing. They wouldn't have known unless there was an eyewitness. So here's the deal. People will not know about Jesus unless they have an eyewitness, and Jesus uses you and I specifically, and I, I might even dare, there's times when he only uses us. We are the method. You are the means for the world to know Jesus. You are it. He sends you. And so that's, that's very uh, sobering for me because I have to realize that if I'm not allowing myself to be sent, if I'm, if I'm more worried about my comfort and my convenience and my car and my job and my whatever... And all these things are going on around me. Then maybe God isn't getting what he's looking for from me. It says witness is referring to an eyewitness as it pertains to court. You will be my witnesses. You will be the proof that I move in people. You will be the evidence that I'm real. So you are filled so you can be sent. And you are given to bring glory to the giver. You are never given to bring glory to yourself. You are never given solely for the purpose of your selfishness or, or your own purposes, it is always to give glory to the giver. So this is not a trophy. If you are filled with the Spirit, if you've ever been filled with the Spirit, if you've ever been moved beyond a, 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 in a radical way that God has filled you to the point w- where, what the Bible would say, um, you've been you've been pushed into a whole new realm of living. The Bible calls it a baptism, that you are completely filled to the point where you are not even in, you're almost out of you almost feel out of control. Um, Because God has now taken over. This is not a trophy to put on our spiritual mantle for all to see. It's the method God uses to put fire in the bones of his people. So Jesus becomes famous. I like to think of it like this. It's not about drawing people's attention toward you. It's about the Father drawing people's affection toward him. And you simply get to go along for the ride. I think that is so cool. So let's look at what ha- how this looks in Acts four because we're going to get a very clear picture of what this looks like when this happens when the Holy Spirit fills us for the purpose of our um, our people around us for evangelism. It says in Acts uh, uh, four verse one it says while Peter and John were speaking to the people they were confronted by the priests the captain the captain Of the temple guard and some Sadducees. So, all these groups of people are are forming and they're all coming together and they're all coming to confront two people. (laughs) Do you realize that? There's two people talking and the priests, plural, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. They're all grouping together and they're all going to enter the situation and confront two people. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning because there wasn't any, they couldn't have a trial, they couldn't do things the right way, so they just put them in jail to hold them until the morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. The high priest was there, along with Cyphus, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. The high priest brings his relatives. Come on, we got to go do this. Come on, guys. Other relatives of the high priest, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, they demanded by what power or in whose name have you done this? Who do you think you are? You do not have the authority to speak in these matters. There is one authority. And his name is not Jesus. And unless that authority has given you power, Caesar, Augustus, whoever was in authority, Pilate, people of different different places and towns, you had to have permission, distinct and written permission with a seal of approval written by those people to say what the message they're bringing is a message I agree with. And so they are asking, can you produce this evidence? Can you produce for us that you've been given permission to say all this stuff? Because if you can't, then you're in trouble, my friend. By what power or in whose name have you done this? And then the next part is my favorite. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? See, they healed a crippled guy, and, and that's what was really um, starting to get their, their questions going. That was starting to get the buzz. And then they started talking about the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. So they were just batting, you know, batting zero here for the, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they said, do you want to know how he was healed? I, dude, this is so cool because they, just, they don't let anything go. They just let it fly. Let me clearly state to all of you, And to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. You want a name? That's his name. It's Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name. God has given no other name, not the name that you want me to use, not the name that you think is an authority, not Caesar, not not Pilate, not not anybody. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Dude, they are on fire. I want you to understand there is a crowd of people that are against them in this courtroom. This is not filled with their disciples, their homeboys, their posse. This is filled with people who are against them. This is filled with with um, with enemies of the gospel itself, and they say as closing, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is insane when you think about the culture of the day because we we ha- we understand a saying that's uh, Jesus is Lord, and it's on bumper stickers, it's on it's on billboards, it's on everywhere, it's on Christian. Stuff It's on Bible covers. It's on um, Bibles themselves. We, we have, we've coined this term, Jesus is Lord. And it stems all the way back to this time because there would be coins that were specifically made with the ruling person of that day, and then it was Caesar is Lord. The money actually said Caesar is Lord. So when you gave money, that's why Jesus says, give the Caesar what's Caesar's, right? Give him his money. It says his name on it. Give it back to him. It's his money, but give to God what's God's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. And so they're basically saying that that Caesar is not Lord. He does not save. He is ultimately just like us under the authority of this guy, Jesus, who has claimed divinity, who has claimed deity, who has claimed ultimate superiority among everything that's created. There is no other name. This is powerful because if you know anything about Peter... He chickened out with a, with a, with a little girl back in, when we read about it in the Gospels. Jesus is in court and he's being questioned. And, w- and a little slave girl comes up to, comes up to Peter and says, Did, weren't, Don't you know him? He's like, No, I don't know who he is. Now all of a sudden, this wussified disciple is now empowered by the Holy Spirit and he says all of this stuff in front of a courtroom of people filled with anger and malicious intent to kill him and to, inj- to imprison him. This is powerful stuff. So if you've ever wanted, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever desired to share your faith in a way that is empowered by God, we have to pray that God would do the empowering. It has nothing to do. Do you realize that they didn't go through, they just plainly said, Jesus is the one who saved this guy. If you want to argue with him, you can argue with him. If you want to talk to God about it, you can talk to God about it. But all we know is that Jesus is the one that heals. Jesus is the one that did it says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And that, ama- that, that word amazed literally means astonished. Like they can't even believe they're, they're acting like this. They, no one has ever come into the courtroom and acted with such authority, such, so audaciously pre- presenting a case before these people with uh, seemingly disrespect, with seemingly just you know, just disregarding the whole fact that they are in court. They are basically trumping what all these council people would want them to say. The members of the council were astonished when they saw the boldness for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Let me explain what this means because this is what the Holy Spirit did. This is the this is the part of the filling that gave them the ability. Number 1, it says that they were ordinary men. If anybody understands what this word means, it means uneducated, which most literally means illiterate. They couldn't even read. These men up until this point couldn't even read, and now they're claiming authority and explaining to others about scriptures that they can't even read from themselves and they somehow have just put themselves in a position of authority to explain them. And then they said, with well, no special training, in other words, no rabbi that's been sanctioned by the council, the Sanhedrin, which was the religious council of the day, the Sanhedrin had not um, given them the authority to do this and so they're basically speaking out as illiterate and unskilled people. It would be like me walking into NASA and telling them what to do. <laughs> They'd be like, look at look at this little guy. He's so cute. Look at him trying to tell us how to do space astronaut stuff. <laughs> That's what it feels like to them. They feel like there are these idiots standing before them, putting on a show, and trying to steal the authority away from the, from the councilman. And that's exactly what they're doing. It says, but then in verse 14 it says something really cool. But uh, or I'm sorry, the end of 13 says they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That's pretty powerful. So whatever they were saying, and however they were saying it was so much like the Savior that it was overwhelming for them. They had recognized these guys had been around Jesus. There's no doubt about it. Because if Jesus was standing here saying these same things, that's what he would sound like. That's what he would say. This is what he would do. That's probably one of the greatest compliments somebody could ever give somebody. Dude, you've been around Jesus. Wow. I can tell you've been around Jesus. The way you just forgave that person, normal people don't do that. The way you just let that person say what they said and your heart was moved to just care for them anyway, wow, normal people don't do that. The way you just explained the gospel, normal people don't do that. You just, your fire within you is amazing. It says, but since they could could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them. See, they did one thing that was good. The disciples, that guy came to the courtroom. So there's the guy in the courtroom who's been healed. The crippled guy is now healed, standing before them. He said there was nothing the council could say. Because they just said this guy's been healed and he was healed through Jesus. And there he is right there. So you argue with that. You got the proof right there. It's right in front of you. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from speaking their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. They're like, okay, we don't want to start a riot. So we're going to let them get away with this because if we make a big deal about it, it's going to cause a big ruckus. Everyone's going to be angry. They're going to get ticked off. They're going to rush us. We're we're going to lose a little bit of power here. So we're going to let them get away with this this part, but we're going to warn them that they are not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them to never speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? (sighs) I can normally see this guy's face just grow red. He grabs, what? What did you just say to me? See, I knew when I was in trouble when my my mom's teeth didn't move. (laughs) I knew, I knew something was going down. Michael, get in here now. Oh man, her teeth, did you see that? Her teeth didn't open. I'm in trouble. That usually meant don't go there, go later. Wait for her teeth to move and then it's safe to enter, (laughs) enter the house. I can only imagine that this guy, this this council is so aggravated, is so frustrated, is so angry with these people. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling people about everything we have seen and heard. We can't. It's too powerful. It's too big. It's too majestic. You can do what you need to do. You can kill us. You can imprison us. We'll talk about him in prison. You can, you can do whatever you want. You can kill us and everyone's going to talk about how you killed us because of Jesus. And his name will still become famous because they'll know that he was connected. We were connected to him and that when you kill us, it was because of Jesus. So even in our death, his name will still be known. So do what you please. Do what you want. But we will not listen to you. The council then threatened them further. But finally they let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. Dude, that's the... Co- everyone was praising God. The religious people, the ones that were supposed to know God the best, the ones that were supposed to hear from him the most, the ones that were supposed to teach about him in the most highest way, in the most authoritative way, they just got bullied by two unschooled, illiterate men who had been with Jesus and everyone's praising God. Everyone was was responding in such a way that their hands were tied, they could not do anything. It says, for this miraculous sign, then the the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. They're in court. Do you see what, dude, this was a miraculous, spirit-filled endeavor. Can you imagine... If these guys simply got filled with the Spirit and were excited about Jesus and didn't say anything. I don't mean to sound unspiritual, but what a waste. We can't just seek gifts. We have to seek the giver because it's his name that will be famous when we allow it to flow out of us. Now, who's the giver of the gift? This is an important under, to understand. Go to Acts 2.33. Actually, we'll start in 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. It says, Now he, meaning Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor at God's right hand, and the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. Who, get, who, who sends the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Jesus is the sender. He's the gift giver. It says, The Father has given Jesus the power to pour out the Spirit upon us. God the Father sent the Son to save us. Jesus, the Son who saves us, sends the Spirit to equip us. Isn't that awesome? So harmonious. The Father sends the Son to save us. The Savior sends the Spirit to equip us. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. It's the same guy who died on the cross that enables us by sending his spirit within us to empower us for ministry, to empower us for evangelism, to empower us for Christian living. I love Luke 11. It says um, in in, uh, verses 11 through 13, You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people, I mean, that would even seem offensive. If you sinful people, if you wicked people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your perfect, holy, amazing, heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He will not withhold that which will equip you. Jesus is the giver of the gift. Jesus is the giver of the gift. Now, if you're anything like me, when I was growing up, and I originally began to understand and and hear about this idea of being filled with God's spirit, it was almost, it was, it was, it was, um difficult for me to understand. It was creepy a little bit because I didn't understand what it would look like and feel like to be overpowered, overwhelmed by God's spirit to the point where I was afraid that there, I'd lose control and, and I might make a fool of myself. And, and at this point, I have to apologize to Jesus for saying, forever questioning that whatever he wants to do within me that I would ever reluctantly um, say no to. He says, are you, I want to ask you, are you feeling a little or maybe a giant, uh, are you feeling like you need a little or a giant push in your faith-sharing journey? Are you feeling a little dry? Are you feeling a little lethargic? I want to ask you to pray to the trustworthy Savior that he would pour the Spirit into your life. Because there's usually two sides of the coin as it pertains to the, to, to the Spirit of God in filling his, his children, that, that Jesus sending his Spirit into our hearts to empower us. There's usually two sides of the coin. One side is, is, is the side of an emotionalism where we just try to seek the gift for an emotional response. We just want to feel God's presence. And that sounds good on the surface, but if that's all, if if we're trying to use that to to have evidence that God cares for us, Jesus did that on the cross. His arms stretched out was evidence that God loves us. That's the evidence. God said, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. So when we seek God for these things, he's doing it in us for the purpose of bringing his name to people that may never hear it. I love uh, this verse in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? He lives in you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you if you've committed your life to Christ, if Jesus is your Savior. If you have yet to do that, then that's your first step. Your first step is to bow a knee to Jesus and say, you're the God I'm going to serve for the rest of my life. You're legit. I'm giving you my life. I'm I'm repenting before you. And repenting means I want to serve you, not myself. I want to give my life to you, not these things in the world. I want you to be calling the shots in my life. You're my ultimate boss. That's what you're saying. And the moment that we bow a knee and we make Jesus our Savior, make Jesus our Lord, the Spirit lives within us. But then at times within our life, God will fill us for a very specific use to bring glory and honor to his name and reveal it to the nations. It's clear in Acts. Then you will be my witnesses. Then you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say then you will feel good about yourself. It doesn't say then you'll have a good experience at church. It says then you'll be my witnesses. Then you'll be my witnesses. So um, it says, to keep going, it says, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God. With your, bo- with your body. So here's what I want to ask of you. And if our worship team could come up, we're going to uh, close this service uh, with some worship and just singing. I want to um, encourage you to allow God to do what he needs to do in your heart. And um, there's in the morning, I wake up in the morning usually and I'll read, I'll read some scripture, I'll read a book, or I'll, I'll uh, pray and, or journal or something. I, I, I wake up rather early because I have to wake up before Cohen or else that doesn't happen because he's, you know, a, he has all my attention. And so there's this morning, I'm, I'm, and I, my chair is really, it used to be situated next to this window um, at the side of our living room. And I'm sitting in the, in the and I'm reading the Bible, and I, I don't know what I'm reading, but I'm just reading something. And all of a sudden, there's this boom, smash, something smashes the window. I'm like, what in the world? I get up. I mean, it was loud. It was like someone hit the window. So I got up, and I moved the curtain, and nothing's there. I'm like, you know, we're kind of in, we're not like, our houses aren't that close, so if someone wants to do something, you know, the only real person that I could think of would be Rowan catch him, because he lives across the street, so it's either Rowan coming over to my house to bang on my window at six o'clock in the morning, and I don't know any teenager that gets up at six o'clock in the morning. Do you get up at six o'clock in the morning? See, yeah, I didn't think so. So, um, he's like, <laughs> the eyebrow went down, like, my friend, you, no. So, um, so so I, I'm like, all right, well, that must have been weird. So I go back, I sit down, and I'm reading my Bible again, and then, boom, smashes the window again. I'm like, what is happening? I don't understand. So I, move the, I get up really fast, and, I, and there's nothing there. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to leave the curtain open. And at that point, like, I'm, just, like, I can't, I'm pretending to read, you know, because I'm like, it's going to happen again. I'm just, I want to pretend that I'm reading the Bible now and just kind of watch. And then all of a sudden, boom, it happened again, and I saw it. A bird. A bird. Good job, Ruth. Were you what? Are you part of this? How did you? How did you know this? You do well. I learned that um, those that that type of bird is a is very territorial. And what was happening is it saw its own reflection in the mirror in the reflection of the glass of our window, and it was attacking itself. It was literally flying full force from our from the tree next to our house, smashing into the window, falling down, and then flying back up to the branch. And it would just keep doing this. And I'm watching it. I think, Carrie, did you get a re- didn't you get a recording of it? It's on Facebook somewhere. This was like last year at some point, so you'd have to scroll down like a million whatever scrolls. But uh, we had a video of it of him smashing the window, and then he would do it again, and then he'd do it again, and then he'd do it again. And it was the craziest thing. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if sometimes... See, that bird was very territorial. It wanted nothing to do with anything or anyone getting into its own territory. And I wonder if sometimes we've established our lives to the point where we aren't allowing God to get into our territory. We've had, we, have, we have caution tapes somewhere in our hearts where we say, God, you can't get in that part. And God may want to fill you with such an amazing experience for you to be flushed out into this world and to make a difference. But we've established an aspect of our lives. We've established a... Um, a normal life for us. And here's the thing that's going to happen when God fills you. You will be intruded upon. God will unapologetically intrude upon your life and ask you to do things that he, will not, um, that he will help you through and he will help you do, but he will not ask for permission for. He needs to use you. He wants to use you to make his name famous among people that will never know him. And the thing is that we have to do is we have to surrender. We can't be like that bird who wanted all his territory to himself. This is not ours. The Bible just said, in, in Corinthians it said, that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. Those of you in Christ, you know this. It resonates with you because the Spirit of God that lives in you is, is, is challenging you to let him in a little bit more. My question is, will you let him in? My question is, will you let him overpower you? Will, will you let him take, ad, t- take, take advantage of the opportunity to have access to your heart, or will you close that off? Because it's possible in Acts, it says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit by withholding his privilege in our heart. We can stop him because we can say no. Do you know that of everything that God ever created, we're the only thing that can say no? Stars don't ask where to go. They don't argue with God about where they are. The sun doesn't ask permission to shine. The moon is where it is because God put it there. The only people, the only thing that God ever created was us that could say no. So my question to you is, will you say yes? Will you say yes? Will you surrender to God and come forward and say, God, fill me with what you want. Speak to me. He may fill you with encouragement. He may fill you with conviction, says the Holy Spirit convicts. In fact, that's why Jesus left. He said, if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit won't come. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world of its sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He's going to produce what we need to come to Jesus. So let's stand, and we're going to just close with this song. And if there's any point during this song, I don't care what you do, but I think it would be just like anything that we ever talk about in, this, in, in church or any time you ever read the scriptures or any time you're ever in prayer. When it would be a waste of time to simply let this be a doctrine that made sense, and not something that moved you and transforms you to do, to get closer and more um, and more powerfully in, in Jesus, because He wants to do something with your life, bigger and better and and more, and He wants to equip you for ministry, equip you for sharing your faith, equip you for telling people about Him. So as we pray and as we sing, ask God, say God, what do you have for me? Jesus is the gift giver. That's who you go to, if you've already asked Him for forgiveness. You're going to the same guy to ask him to fill you with something that will make his name famous. Let's pray, and these guys will lead us in the last song. Heavenly Father, as we stand here today, we ask you to fill us, but not because we want to have a sensational, emotional response to you, but because we want you to make your name famous through us. Take us out of our own selfish, um, lethargic, normative lifestyles, God, and intrude upon our lives. Help us to be willing to open ourselves up and to let you in, not to be territorial with our heart, but to be open and to allow you to make changes where you see fit, to make differences in the parts of us that we are more reluctant than we could ever imagine to give to you. God, I pray that you are very clear with who you want us to be and what you want us to do and how you want us to respond and that, God, you would supply us with exactly what we need to do it. that we ask you, God, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: A thousand times I've failed Still your mercy remains And should I stumble again I'm caught in your grace Everlasting Your light will shine When all else fades Never ending Your glory goes beyond all faith. Glory goes beyond all faith In my heart and my soul I give you control Consume me from the inside out, Lord Let justice embrace, Become my embrace To love you from the inside out everlasting your light will shine when all else fade never ending your glory goes beyond all faith and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out lord my soul cry Heart in my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice embrace, become my embrace. To love you from the inside out, everlasting.
0: that says when everything's gone Jesus' light will remain when everything fades away there's something that's going to remain and it's going to be Jesus so what that tells me is all of my selfish ambitions all of my um, things that I'm hoping to accomplish in this world to make my name great those are going to be all destroyed and Jesus' name is going to reign true and mighty and high my, my ambitions and my name and my reputation will all be gone and the only reputation the only name that's going to matter in the end is Jesus and sometimes I think we spend so much time trying to make our kingdom great, and we spend so much time hiding the parts of us that are broken because we're ashamed of them. We don't want people to have access to them because we're not sure what they're going to do with them. And then we not only hide that from others, but then we pretend they're not there, and then God never gets access to them to challenge us and to transform us. And I would say that when the Spirit gets involved, He convicts, and then He comforts, and then He empowers. I would ask you that if you need a little bit of a shaking up in your faith that you wouldn't just solely look for it by just trying to spend more time in scripture. You wouldn't just spend it more time at church and more time in Bible studies. Those things are great and they can really encourage us. But for the most beneficial way that we would begin to pray simply that Jesus would send us his spirit. That his spirit would overwhelm our hearts to the point where we are overjoyed with him, where we see him for who he really is and there's nothing that would stop us. For Peter and John, they could not shut up about Jesus in a courtroom filled with enemies of the gospel itself, not enemies of Peter and John, but enemies of the gospel itself that they were proclaiming. We'll meet those people. Heck, there might be someone in here who is an enemy of the gospel and you think everything I just said is the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But I want you to know, the spirit of God is real and my hope is that you would know him, that you would know Jesus let's send in prayer Heavenly Father I am so thankful for these people here who have been attentive to your word God I pray that they would this week that they would spend time seeking your spirit, God that we would as as a corporate body of believers in this church called Living Word Assembly of God that we would know what it is to be filled with your spirit for the purpose of evangelism, for the purpose of telling others about you. God, sometimes we're so reluctant to share because we're dry. Fill us up. Fill us up, God. Remove the guilt that sometimes stands in the way because we're just not sure what to do and then that guilt builds upon guilt. Release us, God, from from that guilty feeling and empower us. You are so good. You are so awesome. And we love you. Empower your people in Jesus' name. Amen. As you guys leave, as you guys head out this t- today and you spend the rest of your week, I challenge you that in your prayer time, I challenge you to just simply pray, God, fill me with your spirit and see what might happen. Amen. Have a good day.